Oh, kia ora and welcome to the Dawn Chorus. I'm Bernard Hickey on the Kaka on Tuesday the 15th of June. The big news today is the growing blowback to the government's moves uh, for a fee-bait scheme and also to cancel two big motorways in South Auckland and in Tauranga. The government obviously is planning to increase the cost of uh, bigger, uh, more uh, um, commission, uh, emissions uh, emitting cars and utes from July 1. And that will increase the cost of a double cab ute by thousands of dollars. And the idea being that would be shuffled back to, into rebates for people buying more fuel efficient vehicles, including electric and hybrid cars, and also smaller, much more efficient cars. This has gotten an almighty blowback now from the farming community, from tradies and from the opposition who call it a reverse Robin Hood tax on cars. The main concern um, for those who still need to buy double cab utes is that there aren't any electric alternatives. And unfortunately, the Prime Minister said yesterday that she believed Toyota was going to bring in an electric ute within a year or two. Turns out this is not true. Toyota's CEO said last night that there were absolutely no plans to bring in a, a, an electric Hilux within the next couple of years. And this is one of the concerns uh, if you do increase taxes on higher emitting vehicles that um, people don't have a choice and feel like they're being simply forced to pay for something that they, uh, they're not getting much for. Or um, they don't really have a way to avoid that um, levy. Or maybe it's a tax if you want to paint it that way. The, the real issue here is that um, it's a chicken and egg situation. If you don't have the subsidy, then the manufacturers don't direct supply to your market. And we're at the end of a very long chain and there's huge demand for these sorts of electric vehicles. Utes are among the, la the, the last of the big vehicles to um, have uh, electric, the electric treatment. Uh, the F-150 got a lot of publicity a couple of weeks ago. That's the big, the most popular vehicle sold in America and an electric version was uh, launched but they're not actually going to be selling these for another year yet and of course the demand in America will be intense where uh, you can buy one of these things for less than 40,000 US particularly after you've uh, gotten the various subsidies that the US um, federal and states um, are offering. And uh, that's one of the issues here, that um, we're going to be at the last, uh, at the end of the line for electric supplies, and there's a risk that unless um, you uh, use some measures to stop uh, petrol and diesel second-hand vehicles coming into New Zealand, we potentially become the dumping ground for Japan and for Britain, um, who want to get rid of their uh, petrol and diesel cars while they buy the electric ones. Now, of course, um, the other theory is that uh, we just have to wait until Japan produces enough electric cars and hybrid cars for it to trickle down to us four or five years later. However, the other issue for the government politically is that there's some real blowback developing around the decision last week to cancel the Mill Road um, and uh, other highways around Drury, South Auckland, essentially an alternative to the Southern Motorway which um, would have opened up uh, tens of thousands of houses in new suburbs around South Auckland. There's also the cancellation of the motorway around the back of Tauranga to the western bays there, again, would have opened up a lot of um, land for housing. 
and uh, councillors in South Auckland used the Auckland Council website to really hammer away at um, that government decision. And there'll be more blowback on this, I suspect. Uh, Teatatu Man um, is going to make a comeback, I think, with um, those people who need to use double cab utes and cars to get their families around asking the question rightly, um, what alternatives are there? Are there? Is there public transport? Is there an electric ute? And uh, how is this transition going to be just for me? Overnight, um, some big uh, news on the COVID-19 front. Uh, Britain has delayed for another month its plans to open up uh, because the Indian variant, the Delta variant, is really cutting a swathe there, increasing cases. Turns out now that it's twice as likely to send you to hospital, the uh, Indian variant. But some good news on the vaccine front, Novovax has uh, released trial results showing it's 90% effective. Um, so that adds another vaccine um, to the arsenal. Uh, watch out um, around uh, in New Zealand also for um, bits and pieces of news on buses. It looks like Wellington is going to be cancelling a bunch of, bunch of rush hour buses uh, because they don't have enough workers. One of those things we're seeing at the moment. Now, the other um, news that comes out, uh, that has come out of the Productivity Commission this morning, is that it's going to launch an inquiry into you know, how to um, stop uh, uh, intergenerational poverty. And uh, I had a chat with Ganesh Nana uh, about this inquiry, um, which is unusual from the Productivity Commission, at least in its recent history. So that's the end of the dawn chorus. We'll be back in tomorrow, but here's a discussion with Ganesh Nana. Well, kia ora uh, to kia Ganesh, ora. Nama, Ganesh Nana, who is the um, chair of the Productivity Commission. Ganesh, thank you very much for coming on to the dawn chorus. Thank you. Um, tell us what this new inquiry is going to be all about. Well, we've got a working title, A Fair Start for All, and it's about the, the ongoing long-term disadvantage that many in our communities are labouring under, and, and it's that cycle of disadvantage transferring across generations that we we really want to learn a lot more about, and and I want to get to the bottom of it, but get, get a lot more information, a lot more knowledge about it than we currently have, and of course... Um, put together some ideas about what can we do about it. So um, how big an issue might this be connected to productivity? Well that's part of the conversation and part of the inquiry undoubtedly and I suppose the the, the initial thesis is that, that this long-term uh, cycle of disadvantage is causing us considerable costs um, not just in the in the dollars and cents perspective, but in terms of impacting our productivity into the future. If you have a community of a group in your community that is continually disadvantaged, they can't access uh, opportunities to to get out of that disadvantage. They can't access um, the training or the skills required to actually engage in the the new economy, and those are costs that not only individuals face, but the community and the country face in terms of lost productivity, lost economic output, and then, then lost opportunities for the next generation. I've seen a lot of talk about wellbeing from Treasury and various other agencies, but I haven't seen any really fine, detailed 
actuarial analysis of the lost opportunity cost of um, a whole group of people not being able to work for all sorts of reasons or not working to their their best opportunities and also the long-term fiscal costs if you've got a bunch of people who through child poverty for example um, uh, don't get the sort of skills that would allow them to be the most productive um, what sort of things would you look at with this inquiry around that well, that'll be one element, uh, probably, and, I'm, and we haven't quite we haven't got the terms of reference yet, and that's that's part of the process that we can talk about a bit further. But that's undoubtedly part of the equation. Just what are the costs that we have um, that we could avoid if we uh, do engage with groups and communities that are currently excluded or currently disadvantaged and, and across generations, and and how can we bring them? to the table and empower them to actually engage and indeed contribute and contribute whether that be in the market economy in terms of GDP or whether that be contribute in terms of looking after their children and their whānau and, and providing them with the future opportunities that, that many of us sort of take for granted. Has there been any research like this overseas on the you know the lost opportunity cost or the long-term fiscal costs of in, in embedded poverty? Well, I'm sure there has been. Uh, we haven't looked uh, in detail for them yet. But I think the thing that we've got to understand is we're peculiar here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I think our and we, that's sort of what we want to get to the bottom of rather than take models from overseas and sort of impose them here and, and then trying to figure out why they don't work here. And I think we'd like to actually understand and get better knowledge of what is actually happening here what is the story here who are the most impacted who don't have opportunities in the future and and, and yes calculate some of those fiscal costs and those economic costs but in, in the context of productivity and the context of the well-being of not just the individuals but their whānau and indeed the community in the country. Um, the, you mentioned the terms of reference and that you've asked um, the public to come back with some ideas on particular issues to put into the terms of reference. From memory, that, that's an unusual thing for the Productivity Commission to do because in the past it's been the Minister who has um, laid out the terms of reference and told you to get on with it. <laughs> um, absolutely, this is different uh, and this is uh, very different. It, it's, it's the Productivity Commission going, uh, coming outside our comfort zone, if you like, uh, not just in terms of the topic but in terms of the way we do things. And, and it's not a we ask the public to come to us with ideas, we're actually going to uh, proactively engage with uh, community groups uh, and not just government agencies but not-for-profits and social service providers and Māori and iwi and, and, and in the public as well to provide us with the ideas to develop up a terms of reference, maybe directions about what is important when we're looking at this particular topic. Is it important that we go down the fiscal cost route or is it important we go down um, the opportunities that are lost in terms of workforce uh, and and what does I suppose, what, what does success actually look like? What do we mean by um, being included in the economy? Uh, is it just being able to get a job, or is it more than that? Is it like being connected to a community? And and how would we how might we value that in uh, a productivity and a well-being set? So we're open to that conversation, uh, and that'll be part of the the, the first phase of this uh, particular inquiry. So we're looking at. Uh, engaging in that over the next 
four or five months and hopefully looking at a terms of reference that we can uh, put together which would then go to the ministers for sign off towards the end of this year and then um, that doesn't stop the inquiry that actually kicks us off into looking in detail and um, again engaging much broadly with um, the business sector unions workers and indeed youth uh, Māori because that's the if we're looking at who's been excluded and we're looking at uh, who's been disadvantaged, we actually need to talk to them and to get their lived experiences in the conversation rather than uh, talking to pointy heads like me and pretend we know the answers. And um, just to check that um, when you talk about productivity, um, could that include things like community work, uh, volunteer work, work in the home, which may not be paid for or you know, formally valued. Absolutely, and, and, and yes, productivity in the conventional sense is very narrow and it includes just those things that are paid for. Um, but as um, hopefully you've got the signal from our latest pr- publication, Productivity by the Numbers, we report that narrow picture, but we also want to go further and beyond and include um, the value that we gain from the not-for-profits, the community organisations, people staying at home and looking after others, that's all delivering well-being, that's all delivering value to our communities and our individuals. So that's what we want to capture when we talk about productivity, uh, as, as in our purpose as a, as a productivity commission, our legislative purpose or our kaupapa. It's not just productivity we're interested in, it's improving productivity that will deliver well-being to all New Zealanders. And it's that last part of our kaupapa that I put particular emphasis on. Sometimes ministers will um, rule things out that um, the Productivity Commission is not supposed to look at, or at least it did um, in previous governments. Is there anything that you're not allowed to look at? Uh, in terms of the, the signals we've got from ministers so far, they've given us a blank sheet of paper. Um, we have provided them with a scoping paper, which um, the initial title, working title of the discussion was Economic Inclusion and Social Mobility. Uh, and we've uh, put a different lens on that and, and made it a bit more about the fair start for all. So it's very much about who's at the starting line and who's not and, and, and looking at the who's not and what we could do to um, bring everybody as close to the starting line as possible. Uh, I suppose we don't want to, and this is a decision that we made rather than uh, from, uh, from ministers, we didn't want to replicate what's already been done before. And so, yes, um, taxes and benefits are a core component of this conversation. And we're not ruling them out, but we've had, a, we've had the tax working group a uh, lot of effort in, in the recent past and, and also the Welfare Expert Advisory Group. Uh, a lot of effort and a lot of recommendations coming out of them. So we don't want to repeat those, but we do want to work from them. So. I'll uh, be honest with you, our immediate focus is not so much on the, the redistribution of income, if you like. Uh, acknowledge that that's important when we're talking about these conversations, but we're also looking at a whole other package around that, whether it's the way we deliver social services, what services are available, who actually is accessing those services, and we sort of assume that once we deliver the services, the people who want them will get them. What are the obstacles there? Who are excluded? Who are not accessing those opportunities? So um, whether that be in the education field or in the health or in the training or uh, any of those other barriers that people might face. 
can you actually really do a proper job on this area if you don't um, make recommendations around wealth redistribution in the welfare system? Um, well, we haven't ruled that out. Um, and I think uh, we'd be naive to think that that's off the table. Uh, but I, it's not the core function or purpose of this particular exercise. Because we want to do new stuff, we want to do novel stuff. We don't want to, and this is no, um, that the, the, this is not suggesting that the past work has been uh, not wanted. But if you don't, I will. I mean, you, you, could, sure. you could do a better job. Yeah, but we've, I mean, the benefit in the income distribution stuff is, it has been done many times before, and, and it's almost. I won't say the 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 argument's been made. But we don't want to repeat the same arguments. We don't want to waste our time doing that again. We'll learn from it, and I'm sure it will be embedded within our uh, within our recommendations, if you like. But I don't think the yes, there'll be recommendations. But part of this inquiry is actually to have the conversation and to engage with excluded groups that haven't been engaged with before. And I think that's the big challenge for us and the commission. That's what I mean by taking ourselves outside our comfort zone. If we're talking about economic inclusion or we're talking about barriers to engaging, uh, we need to actually talk to the people who have been disadvantaged in the first place and bringing them to the table and to the conversation about why productivity is important, why we need to make sure that that cycle of disadvantaged is, is, is broken. We need to break that cycle. And so it's end. And particularly, we're looking long term. It's, it is literal. It is intergeneration. It's that generational cycle of disadvantage that we've got to break. So this isn't the the immediate rec- the recommendations for immediate changes, whether it be in welfare or tax. That has a role to play, um, but this is way more way more, I suppose, um, foundational about many of those other elements of that package. Did you find anything in your, I know it's only brief at the moment, anything interesting in your scoping work around our social mobility, around um, the potential opportunity, any sort of scale numbers? Well, not really, but I think the the interesting thing in terms of our, our very quick scan of stuff to get us on the table is just reinforcing just how different we are here in New Zealand compared to other parts of the world. And the conversation and this this argument or this discussion in other parts of the world, especially coming out of the US, is very much about the, the middle class, if you like, who have been stagnant for quite a while. Whereas in New Zealand, I think the, the numbers are suggesting it's more the focus. The middle class isn't the focus in terms of stagnant incomes. It's very much the, the the way the dare I say the the lowest ten or maybe twenty percent that have actually gone backwards. So that's it's a different story, and I think we need to get to the bottom of that rather than say look at overseas examples and trying to um, impose those solutions on, on here. Has anyone done any work on the numbers involved in the multi generational poverty issue? I know that the sort of general narrative is late 80s, early 90s, massive shock to the economy, benefit cuts, all sorts of social welfare safety net unravelling, and then those kids born in the early 90s and their parents had all sorts of um, unemployment and disruption, grief, which meant that we're into a second or third generation of kids who came out of that time. Is that right? 
I think that's the, and that's the cycle of disadvantage that we want need to get to the bottom of, and, and that's what we we're trying to break, uh, and we need to focus on efforts to break that cycle. I mean, we could we could go back in the past and try and look at reasons and try and assign blame and all of that sort of stuff, and that's to be honest, much as I would probably love to do that, that's for someone else to do, and all my all for my retirement. I the, for now, I'm interested in what do we do now for the future, for next generation. So it is there is that cycle of disadvantage. We want to get to the bottom of just how real is that that ex- ex- experience that you just suggested. How many are actually influenced by that? What are the the characteristics of that cycle of, of that group that are caught in that cycle? Why are they not being lifted out? Now, education is supposed to be one of the ladders out of that. Uh, one of the ladders out of in, uh, exclusion. Why is that not? Or to what extent is that being successful? To what extent isn't it? And why? And, and in terms of the why, what do we do about it? So, um, what happens now in terms of pulling together the terms of reference and then doing the inquiry over the next year or two, or year to eighteen months? Well, um, we will be putting out of uh, what was what we'd probably call collateral, some material over the next uh, couple of months in terms of, I suppose, the raw data and what it might be showing uh, and some conversational pieces around what we think is happening and what we'd like to focus on. Um, and we'll be distributing that progressively over the, the, the near next few weeks as um, we look to make contacts with anybody and everybody who's willing to engage in this conversation. We'll obviously be engaging with some of the Wellington, um, with the public sector agencies uh, that's taken as read, but also with um, other experts in the field, but most importantly, I think, with community groups and agencies um, and, and encouraging them to uh, help us devise as terms of reference so it doesn't become, and this is actually not being disparaging, but we don't want another academic exercise. We want an exercise that's informed by everybody that will actually break that cycle of disadvantage. Ganesh Nana, the Chair of the Productivity Commission, thank you very much. Thank you.